The scripture is Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, through chapter 2, verse 10. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase, and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramesses for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless, imposing tasks on the Israelites, and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks they imposed upon them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Chifra and the other Pua, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every boy that is born to the Hebrews, you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, he got a, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying, and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. This is the story of faith and faithful struggle. Thanks be to God.
let us be in a spirit of prayer. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. And may we, like Samuel, cry out and say, Speak, Lord, for we are listening. Amen. In a harsh world where oppressors want to drown out the promise of future freedom, we are called to be midwives, strong and clever, working together to deliver God's promise of liberation and love to all. That's what this story of Moses is, isn't it? It's a story of liberation and love. It's a story of freedom. It's a story of deliverance. And it's a story where there's not just one character. It's interesting the way that when we read a story, we kind of sympathize with one character or another. We kind of put ourselves into the narrative. Those, those characteristics that we resonate with. We find something in those pieces. Oftentimes, in stories like this, the, this true story, or even one of the parables, we can see where we are. And we choose maybe the, the, the victor or the, the one who prevails. In this story, we are the oppressed. We are the midwives, strong and clever. We have an opportunity to be all of these things as we understand ourselves to be representatives of the human race, children of God. And so when we look at this familiar passage from a womanist perspective and a liberation perspective, we might hear something different than the very comforting idea of Moses in that reed basket floating down the Nile. It's one of those stories that lends itself to VBS. It's, ni it's nice to find a basket. It's, it's nice to find a visual that um, so fully encompasses the story so that somebody can understand right away which story it is we're talking about. So when I say womanist, that might be a word that we need to talk about a little bit. Womanism is a little different than feminism. Womanism is more family-oriented and focuses on class and race and gender, while feminism is female-oriented and strictly focuses on gender. And so you can see how this is a womanist perspective. This is a perspective of the family being protected, the, the way in which not only is this story about the biological mother of Moses, but also about the adopted mother of Moses and the midwives. All of these people play a part in Moses' deliverance from death. Because as you just heard in that story, he was condemned to death as a child born during this time when Pharaoh was so afraid, so afraid that someone might come and take his rule. Someone was threatening him. I want us to look at this story and to see Moses' deliverance 
And to see the fact that not only is he delivered through the water of birth, but he is delivered by the water of the Nile from a place of danger if he stayed with his biological family to a place of influence where he is adopted by the daughter of Pharaoh and becomes a prince of Egypt. And then is uniquely positioned to be the deliverer of the Israelite people through the water of the Red Sea. Isn't that wonderful to see that thread, that water that connects it all together? The idea of deliverance is an important one. Liberation theology is an important field as well. It's something that you can see especially in the writings of South American theologians, people who are very familiar with oppression by dictatorial regimes, people who understand what it means to have a coyote, a person who comes alongside and delivers you, shepherds you, shows you the paths to go to find the freedom in the United States. Liberation theology was also something that is found in the hymns of the African-American community from the time of slavery, from the time when they were worshiping separately from us, and still are in some cases. The kinds of things that are lifted up in those hymns are the promise of freedom, the promise of what God has in store for all of us as children. Not, not only for a select few, but for all. And the strength of that promise, the, the wonder of that promise is so beautifully portrayed in those hymns and those writings about liberation. Those of us who have lived in the land of the free in America for so many years in places where we have advantage and privilege, when we think of liberation, it's not nearly on such a life-threatening scale as those seeking freedom from dictatorial regimes or freedom from slavery or the kind of freedom that the Israelites were facing in this story the kind of oppression that they were facing when Pharaoh said, I'm afraid that somebody else is going to come and take my place, that is going to threaten my rule, and so you need to kill babies. How awful a thing for someone to think that they needed to kill babies. How fearful and how, how unreasonable that is to consider a child a threat. So what we have here is a concise account of how the favored family of Jacob became an oppressed subgroup within Pharaoh's empire. So you remember the last several weeks we've been talking about these stories in Genesis of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And the way that Joseph was treated by his brothers, but then was transported into this place in Egypt where he interpreted the dreams of a previous pharaoh, a previous king, and he was well regarded and put over, um, had authority over the distribution of the grain so that he could help people. His family was favored, but now is a new king, a new pharaoh, and this person doesn't recognize that, feels threatened by that, understands that 
his regime is sensitive to being toppled. But this story of hope that weaves throughout the Bible is one in which we can see that a new creation is coming, a new possibility is, is, is a potential in our world. And that's true today too. That's true today too, that we are moving through these times when certain classes of people are oppressed into God's kingdom, where God's love and this idea of equality reigns. God's promise to Abraham was that his progeny would be many, innumerable, like the sands of the sea, like the stars of the sky. There are so many references throughout Genesis. Be fruitful and multiply, right? Even so early on in the story of Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply. I will give you this opportunity, this unnumbered family. And so here we have this story where the Israelites are, are multiplying. And they are populating so quickly that they appear to be posing a potential threat to the Egyptians, to Pharaoh, who is afraid. And so Pharaoh orders the draconian step of executing all of the baby boys under the age of two. Who is afraid of a baby? Pharaoh is the unnamed oppressor. So you'll see in this story how the person who's less important to the story, the person who's not victorious, is unnamed, just a pharaoh. But the midwives in this story are named. They're an important part. We hear that they are Shipra and Pua, and that they are the ones who say that the Israelite women are stronger than the Egyptian women. And when they go to their side to help deliver the baby, the baby is already born. And so they cannot follow through on Pharaoh's command of murdering these babies. And so there's a little bit of stealth happening there, a little bit of, of uh, just a, a way that they're not following uh, Pharaoh's dictate. And there's a lot of care. The loving care that prompted Moses' mother to place him in that basket, even though she loved this child. Can you imagine placing your own child in a basket in a river, a river which could symbolize death? I mean, we all know of so many tragic drownings in our rivers this summer. So it's not a safe thing that she's doing. It's a radical thing that she's doing to save the life of her baby. And so she very carefully puts the baby in the water. And Pharaoh's daughter discovers the baby in the water. Another very caring act. And then Moses' sister, in a very caring way, offers to have the baby nursed by its actual mother. And then, so all of these women, do you see uh, the biological mother, the adoptive mother, the midwives, the sister, all of these women have a role, a nurturing, caring role, delivering this baby named Moses into a position of influence where he could then deliver the people of Israel out of slavery 
out of bondage. When Pharaoh's daughter draws Moses from the Nile, she gives him the name Moses, and the Hebrew verb means to pull out, to draw out of water. And I love that idea of how he is drawn out of certain death, because if he is found in his biological home, he will be killed. And he is drawn out of that. And in a similar way, he draws the Israelites through the Red Sea into freedom and eventually into their own land of milk and honey. In the first part of our reading here today, you'll see that the words are, are, are very interesting. All of these words are kind of a negative connotation, sort of the, the, the way that Pharaoh's rule, um, rule is uh, experienced in this time. The word choices are things like powerful and war and enemies and taskmasters, oppress, forced labor, dread, ruthless, bitter, hard service, labor, and task. And from that, we're seeing this, this story that is transformed, just like our world is being transformed now, just like we are called in the midst of our own story to be the midwives, to be the ones who experience the revelation that, that we see through Jesus Christ and Jesus' love for the world that we can share with our neighbors. This promise, this transformation from this time of these, these words that are things like um, really negative things into a time of positivity and freedom for all. The new king of Egypt did not know Joseph and the legacy of provision that he had brought to the land. And so the new king feared the potential uprising of the Israeli people. They might do something. They might do something. A baby might grow up and might do something. It's just such an irrational fear. You can see how terribly irrational it must be to commit infanticide, to kill all of these children. The text doesn't include a single hint of any rebellious spirit in the Israelites. Yet this fear becomes the driving force to a series of escalating and oppressive policies even to the point of genocide. This is baseless fear. When can you think of such things in society today? I know I heard in the news this week a story of someone who is vocally opposed to the Russian president who has somehow been found poisoned and now thankfully is on his way, as of this recording, is on his way to Germany to receive medical attention. And maybe, there's, maybe you can argue that there is some basis for that fear. Maybe he is uh, speaking out against the Russian president, but still, we are commanded not to kill. There must be so many other ways in which we can, we can come together in our differences. We can reconcile. Midwives, Shipra and Pua, do not fear the Egyptian king. And despite his signals of dangerous paranoia. They fear God. They respect God. They love and honor God, the great I am. And God, in return, honors this fear, this respect, and blesses the midwives. 
not only with their own lives, they don't get in trouble for what they've done, but with abundant progeny. The promise continually is fulfilled. Be fruitful and multiply. And it's continually fulfilled through these midwives who are experiencing such joyous births. So through the midwives' attentive intention, the work of deliverance begins with Moses as the deliverer, the leader, the lawgiver. This story is such a beautiful picture of maternal care and I know that many of us understand God and the Holy Spirit in this way. Someone who is nurturing, the one who nurtures and cares for us, especially during those times of distress. I love that the word used when the baby is described, when Moses is described, he's described as a good baby. But it doesn't, uh, it doesn't refer to an obedient or a well-behaved baby, one who magically never cries. But rather it's more of a whole and a right baby. Because in Moses, just as we hear in the story of Jesus, who is the personification, who is God, God's self, we hear that Moses is fully equipped in this little eight-pound package, fully equipped to lead the Israelites out of oppression. It's really neat because the word that's used here, the Hebrew word kitov, describes the baby Moses as a fine baby. And that's how our translations talk about it, a fine baby, a good baby. But it's the same word that was used in Genesis to say, and God saw all that God created, and behold, it was good. Ketah. This baby was good. And Moses' mother saw all that she created, and it was good. And Pharaoh's daughter saw this beautiful baby, and it was good. These midwives recognized the goodness, the completeness, the potential of this baby, Moses. This baby who continues to influence us 5,000 years later. This baby who was able to hear God's commandments and share those with us so that to this day we know, thou shalt not kill. Behold, they saw this baby, this creation, and just as God had seen all of creation, and it was good. That's the kind of good that this baby Moses is. This word also means worth saving. Worth saving. So the, the baby is saved from the certain death that Pharaoh has ordered, just as creation, back in Genesis, is worth saving. And so God has created all of us as stewards of creation because it's worth saving. And God saw all that God had created, and behold, it was very good. The trees, the fields, the sun, the moon, the people, the animals. We have a responsibility as midwives, if you will, to continue to do that work of stewardship. So when we hear in Genesis that we have dominion over the world, it doesn't mean we're in charge and we can do whatever we please. 
It means we have this opportunity, because all the work has been done. If you consider a baby being born, I'm not adding anything to that baby. I'm not saying, well, let's put a, an extra toe over here. What we're doing is we're shepherding that into the world. All of the work is done. God has done the work of creating this thing, which is very good and worth saving. So as Moses delivers the Israelite people to freedom across the Red Sea, they are worth saving. And in the same way, the people that are worth saving today are the people who are fleeing their homes. They are fleeing oppressive regimes. They are coming to a place that promises freedom. And we have a responsibility as midwives to help that happen. There are things that are happening in the world that are clearly God-ordained to fix the climate. And so we are midwives because that is worth saving. There are friends who are encountering difficult times in their lives, the loss of loved ones, terrible diagnoses. All of those are worth saving. They're worth our intervention. Our friends need our entry into their situation to be there, to listen, to hold their hand, to pray, to bring meals, to do whatever it takes. Because each of them, each of us, is God's beloved child worth saving? Worth saving. Both the birth mother in our story and the royal daughter care for this baby. There's careful placement of the child. There's a nurturing of the child. Even the basket represents protection. So the mother of Moses, her role is to protect that child from the, the rapid waters of the Nile by carefully preparing that little basket. And interestingly, that Hebrew word, tevet, is the same word that is used for the ark, for the ark of Noah. This is the ark of Moses, the one that protects something that God has deemed worth saving, that God intends for a glorious purpose. God intends for God's creation to go on, and that's why God saved the world through Noah. And that's why God sent us Moses to free the Israelites as the first of many people to be freed from oppression and slavery and bondage. Now you'll see that Pharaoh's power, the power of empire, is a power that is born out of paranoia. And as that fear intensifies, God's response of sovereignty increases. God's kingdom is come. God's kingdom is come, is coming constantly, has come, will come, is coming. And God demonstrates that through the ways that words are used differently in this second half of the scripture reading today. So those words of hate that we heard in the first part are replaced by the coming of God's kingdom, the kinds of words that express God's reign. Words like married, conceived, bore, child, sister, daughter mother, bathe, pity, words that are 
full of relationship and care and protection, all of those attributes that these women are showing in this story. As they midwife Moses not only into the world, but into a place of influence. And Moses thereby moves, midwives these Israelite people into a place of freedom. And we are compelled to continue that work of liberation, of freeing those who are oppressed. And so I've talked a little bit about some examples of oppression that are literal, like children in cages at the Mexican border. And there are other kinds of oppression that happen, kinds of oppression that happen in our own hearts. This time of COVID-19 is a, a time of binding for some of us. It's very difficult to be secluded from the ones we love, declined the opportunity to go out and do the things we want to do. And it takes some work on the part of the midwife to free us from that bondage, to help us to see that God is always liberating us. There is always that promise of joy, that promise of freedom. And sometimes the baby takes longer to deliver than others. But the baby will come. The freedom will come the time of deliverance is upon us. God's sovereignty in these passages is made manifest through compassion and care, whether by birth or whether by adoption, whether it was innately ours to begin with or whether we have been adopted into it, as we talked last week about being grafted on, whether we have to work hard for it or whether it comes naturally. God wants for us to be free. God wants for us to express the fullness, the goodness, and God saw what God made, the fullness of who we truly are. Now, there are some ways that you can live this out today. You can reach out to a friend from Wesley who maybe you haven't talked to in a while to see if maybe they're lonely. You can reach out if you are lonely because there are those of us who would love to hear from you and to chat. If you are encountering a difficult situation in your life, reach out. Reach out so that we can support each other through those difficult times. So that we can usher in the new reign, the reign of God, the one of compassion and care. There are immigration rallies that happen down in Manchester at the Federal Building on the first Tuesday of each month. They're happening a little differently these days. It used to be that we would gather and sing and pray together, even in the coldest weather and the hottest days, and we would march. And the reason that date is chosen is because that's when immigrations were being held. We would march around that block. We would march together as if we were the people marching around the walls of Jericho to bring down those walls of injustice, to demonstrate the desire of God in the world to deliver God's children from oppression. One of the ways, and I haven't participated in this one yet, but one of the ways that those rallies continue is there are some folks who are, um, who are incarcerated because of immigration problems out in Stratford County, and they put together a, a, rolling, a rolling kind of rally, a rolling vigil is what they called it, that happened. And so people were safe, in this time of COVID-19, they were in their cars, 
but they were still demonstrating. They were saying that God's love exists in this world and we are here ready to be the midwives, to stand up for what is right. So whether it's oppression in that very obvious and much needed a way that we, we really need to intervene, or whether it's more subtle things like fear in our lives or depression or pain that we try to hide, know that God is with you, that we are here for each other to midwife each other through these times. In a harsh world where oppressors want to drown out the promise of future freedom, we are called to be midwives, strong and clever, working together to deliver God's promise of liberation and love. And so let us pray. Let us pray together that we might be those midwives in the justice work before us, where immigrants seek the freedom promised to all, where each of us is good. Each of us is as God has created us, free, full of promise and potential. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Amen.